presence I've not felt since. Get me a scanning crew in here on the double. I want every part of this ship checked. Jedi is power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, and binds the galaxy together. The Force. The Force. The Force. The Force. Hey everybody, welcome to The Force, of course, your bite-sized Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I am still processing Obi-Wan. What a ride, right? Part 6 was a fast-paced rollercoaster of events to tie up the series and give us everything we needed. Or most of what we needed. But we'll talk about all that later. Today we have a few things to do. We have to deal with the finale of Obi-Wan. I want to walk through the trailer for Tales of the Jedi a little bit. Uh, I'm going to do a top 5 ranking and more. But first, let's check out the Force of Course News of the Week. In a recent interview, legendary composer John Williams announces his retirement after the fifth installment of the Indiana Jones saga. For over 60 years, Williams has been responsible for scoring the movies that made us who we are. From Jaws to Close Encounters, Schindler's List to Harry Potter, from E.T. to Superman, the Indiana Jones series, and of course, the Star Wars saga. His music formed my childhood, and I'm sure anyone else listening to this would agree. It's hard to imagine a world without John Williams' music. Frankly, I don't even want to try. And this concludes The Force, of course, News of the Week. Summer is upon us, you know, and summertime always brings back childhood memories. And looking back at those memories and filtering down to Star Wars-related memories in particular, I always go back to the times we would see Star Wars at the drive-in. Kids, a drive-in is a massive parking lot with a movie screen, and you would park next to a pole that had a tiny bullshit speaker on a string that you would bring into your car and the sound from the movie would come through that speaker. Not exactly a Dolby experience, but if you wanted, you could sit outside on a lawn chair and hear the sound from all the speakers around you. It was more magical than I'm making it sound, honestly, unless you chose poorly and your speaker didn't work at all. But that was pretty rare. Speaking of rare, do you know how hard it is to find those old drive-in speakers these days? I hunted for a pair of them for years and finally was able to grab some from a guy at an antique show last year for what I will call a reasonable price. He assured me they still work, but I don't have a use for them other than to just sit on the wall as a decoration in my movie room. Now, my grandpa was the king of the drive-in. He loved to take all of us kids there, and back in the day, our drive-in of choice was the Jolly Roger, a pirate-themed park with a playground and all the trappings of a drive-in. He'd load us up in his 1976 Plymouth, and off we'd go. I have no idea how many times we saw Star Wars that way, but it was a ton. We were dirt poor, and going to the movies in general was a special treat for sure, but the drive-in? Wow. That was a mega treat. Because at the drive-in, you got not one, but two movies. And if we're going to be there for two movies, that means we're either bringing food or we're going to the concession stand. Now, 
I was a nervous, timid little fucker, so the concession stand was too hectic for me. I liked it when we packed sandwiches and chips. A cooler full of glass bottle Cokes or Pepsis, whichever was on sale that week, and of course Miller High Life, because this was the 70s and drinking and driving was still very much a thing back then. Most times the first movie was a kid's movie. Uh, the Herbie series, Disney cartoons, Apple Dumpling Gang, that kind of stuff. Then the main event. And sometimes you could get a triple feature, and those were like hitting the lottery. I remember we saw Star Wars one time, and the other movie was Convoy, where Chris Christopherson was the legendary truck driver Rubber Duck versus the law. We saw Star Wars and Orca one time, the movie about a killer whale terrorizing Richard Harris in its mission of revenge. Close encounters in Star Wars, which made for a themed night of sorts. It was truly a magical time. Drive-ins still exist, obviously, and there have been advancements for sure. Now you tune your car stereo to a certain frequency, and the sound comes through your car speakers, which is way better than what we had back in the day. But it just doesn't feel the same to me. Maybe that's what getting old is all about. I don't know. Do you guys think the drive-in is an experience specific to America? It feels very American with our love affair with cinema and our cars and hot dogs and our waste of real estate. Sharon, do they have drive-ins in Ireland? You gotta let me know. So, John Williams is retiring from the movie scoring business. That is unfortunate. For us. Not for him. Hell, the man is 90. Let him do whatever the fuck he wants. He's earned it. But I don't think there's anyone poised to take his spot. He's definitely one of a kind and his work will forever hold a spot in my heart. If a Star Wars piece comes on in my music rotation, I can fall right into the scene that it comes from in my imagination, without fail. This is true for the original trilogy. The prequel trilogy is fantastic, but I'm not quite there with it, um, like, I, like I am with the original trilogy. And the sequel trilogy, oh man, I mean, Ray's theme sticks out, but other than that, if it isn't a variation on something from the original scores, it missed me. I'd love to spend some time with those scores and see what moves me, but because the movies may not be my favorite, but it's still John Williams, right? So I wanted today to specifically address the soundtrack to A New Hope, the movie that started it all for me. This is a 16-track score, and a fun little bit of trivia is that the original release of the movie soundtrack um, was released out of order. The tracks didn't follow the chronology of the film, if that makes sense. The only reason I could come up with was that in the original release, it was a selection of pieces that Williams himself submitted as his examples of what best represented the vibe of the film. Later releases have put the tracks in order for us, and uh, I just wanted to take a second to break down my top five picks from the New Hope soundtrack and tell you all why these pieces live rent-free in my soul. Okay, here we go. Number five is the main title theme. What says Star Wars more than the main title theme to Star Wars? Every time I hear it, I get excited because I know something cool is about to happen to my senses. When Rogue One started without the main theme, it just didn't feel right, and the movie itself is outstanding. Clearly my favorite thing to come from the Disney era. It just feels weird not starting the story with the main title theme. Number four. Ben Kenobi's death slash TIE Fighter attack. Now, this is a double whammy because Ben's death is very sweeping and emotional, and the TIE Fighter attack is exhilarating. And to tell the truth, I think Peter Griffin sums it up best. Come on, kid. We're not out of the woods yet. 
Here they come. Number three, the little people work. I don't know if this is true for anyone else, but I just find this piece to be so much fun. I love the Jawas and I always wanted to know more about them. I was really happy to see more of them and their culture and snacking habits in The Mandalorian. This is just a fun, lighthearted track and it makes me feel good. It's also the second half of the track titled The Desert and Robot Auction, depending on what release you have handy. Number two, Binary Sunset. This piece is truly masterful. It gives me all the feels and takes me right back to Tatooine in 1977. You can feel the longing that Luke Skywalker is dealing with. It's so powerful. Every time I come across a video of someone playing this on a horn in a hallway with the echo or whatever, it just hits me. Every time. Now before I give you my number one pick, I have to talk about an honorable mention. And that is the Cantina Band number one. That's a terrible name, but the song speaks for itself. It's fun, it's bouncy, and it's so identifiable. The weird thing is how it doesn't fit into the norm of a classical score. I had the soundtrack on LP when I was a kid, and for a while I was on a kick where this was the only song I wanted to hear. So I just hit the repeat button and let it fly. Psych, we didn't have repeat buttons back then. So I had to lift the needle and try to put it on the beginning of the track every time the song ended, like a fucking peasant. But yeah, I love that song. Now, at least to me, it's a little played out, probably because I kept repeating it over and over and over, but it's still amazing. And I think he tried to capture that magic again with the Canto bite scene in The Last Jedi, but that didn't work for me. I don't know if you guys like it. I, I didn't care for it. Okay, so the number one song from the soundtrack to A New Hope, in my opinion, is Princess Leia's Theme. It's everything that the princess herself is. It's soft but bold, striking and wrought with emotion. William set the theme in the key of D major and explains that it's the key associated with overachievers and negotiators. I guess I am not in the key of D major. But it is definitely Princess Leia. The melody of the piece is built to reflect her confidence and heroism, as well as a vulnerability. 
This pick may come as a surprise, but I listen to this theme more often than you might think. It serves as a motivational piece for me. It's wistful and yearning. Makes me want to do more as a person. And that's why it's my number one pick from the soundtrack to 1977's A New Hope. Okay, let's go to break. And when we come back, we'll go through the trailer to Tales of the Jedi and we'll discuss the Obi-Wan Kenobi finale. Stick around. The galaxy explodes. The Rebels return. You can relive it all with Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. The fleet's diving in a hyperdrive. Got a movie. New B-Wing fighters and B-Wing pilot action figures, each sold separately. Batteries not included. Asteroid belt, lowering wings. Hold on tight. Test our laser cannon. We're home free! New B-Wing fighter and B-Wing pilot action figures each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi Collection. Hey, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the break. I know I did. I did some online shopping. Guys, I'm looking for a candle that smells like pipe tobacco. Is that weird? My grandpa smoked pipes when, uh, when I was little, and I've always loved that smell. And last winter, I found a candle that reminded me of him, and I bought it, and it finally burned all the way down. So I'm looking for a replacement, and apparently that's not an easy scent to find. So the search continues. Um, If you're out and about and you see a candle that smells like pipe tobacco, let me know. Um, And it can't be tobacco and vanilla or tobacco and patchouli or whatever. It's got to be very specific pipe tobacco because that's my life. Okay. Tales of the Jedi, yet another trailer that was shown exclusively at Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim. Um, I was able to view a grainy cell phone video of the trailer, and we'll walk through that in a second. But just in case you weren't aware of what Tales of the Jedi is, it's a six-part animated series of 15-minute shorts that depict background information on two very specific characters. Three episodes will deal with Ahsoka, and three will deal with Count Dooku. At first, I wasn't thrilled by this news, but now that I've seen the trailer, I'm more optimistic. I'm actually hoping this series does really well and continues so that we get more tales of more Jedi. Okay, the trailer. We start with Ahsoka as a baby, and we see her as a youngling as well. Uh, And we get Dooku when he's a Jedi Master with Qui-Gon as his Padawan. I think they're going to pepper in tons of tertiary characters. Um, In fact, we see Mace Windu, we see Anakin Skywalker, Bail Organa, Yoda, and Obi-Wan, and pre-cyborg Grievous, and I love the idea of seeing his story. This could be a lot of fun. It appears to be in the same animation style as The Clone Wars and Bad Batch, which I love. The trailer has a ton of action sequences, and these shorts appear to be no-nonsense additions to some of our favorite characters' stories. It talks about destiny and their journeys, so I believe we'll see Dooku's turn to the dark side. This series could easily become a fan favorite if they handle it right and keep the stories coming. It's a fantastic way to fill in some gaps and tell stories that we wouldn't normally get. Star Wars Tales of the Jedi is slated to release in the fall. No official date is set, and it's also unclear if this will be a weekly release or a single drop. Given the nature of the series, it makes sense to release it weekly. Otherwise, it could very easily have just been a feature-length deal. So, be on the lookout. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Okay, who's ready to talk Kenobi? Where do I want to start? Um, There were basically two storylines taking place in this episode, really, which isn't unusual. Um, But I'm going to address the Reva storyline first. Well, she's still alive. That's kind of dumb. I mean, think about it. How much damage does a lightsaber do when you're stabbed in the gut with it? 
what do we know? Like, what exactly do we know about lightsabers and how they work? Well, doesn't a lightsaber put off immense heat? Let's look at the Phantom Menace. Qui-Gon uses his lightsaber to try and cut through the door on the Trade Federation ship to get to Nuke Gunray. First, he starts to, like, cut in a circle. And this lightsaber's cutting through the door like, you know, a, a hot knife through butter. It's going very smoothly. Then they close the blast doors, so he just stabs the door to try and melt his way in, if you will. The metal of the door starts to turn all molten-y. I don't know if that's a word, but that's what it looks like to me. And if the destroyer droids hadn't shown up, he would have been successful in getting in. So wouldn't someone who was stabbed with a lightsaber fare worse than a door? A metal door? The heat alone would cause their clothing to catch fire immediately, am I wrong? Maybe it's a timing thing. Like, the length of time a lightsaber remains in an object, the more heat is released to the target? That's a total guess. But I want to test my guess, so I'm going to employ the very scientific method of one potato. What? You guys don't know what one potato is? Oh my god. Let me... Let me educate you guys a little bit. The one potato method is when you're counting things in time, you say one potato, two potato, three potato. And that's how many potatoes it takes for a certain thing to happen. I really shouldn't have to explain this shit to you guys. Okay. How's this going to work? Well, we're going to look at the Phantom Menace as a point of reference using the one potato system and cross-reference the lightsaber impalings in the Obi-Wan series to try to figure out where the flaws lie. This is very sciencey stuff here on the Force, of course. Okay, in the Phantom Menace, when Qui-Gon is killed by Maul towards the end of the movie, the lightsaber is all up in Qui-Gon's guts for almost three potatoes. Not quite, but almost. Very quick. No melting or bursting into flames for Qui-Gon, but he definitely dies. Earlier in that same film, in the scene I was describing earlier of him trying to cut through the blast door, he stabs his lightsaber hilt deep into the door for 13 potatoes. That's a lot of goddamn potatoes. And you can see the door is melting, so the difference is somewhere between 3 and 13 potatoes. That's a 10 potato control. Are you guys keeping up? God. Okay, when Reva is stabbed by Darth Vader, it's for a 6 potato period of time. And she lives. When she stabbed the Grand Inquisitor earlier in the series, it was for an 8 potato period of time. And he lived. Leaving out the two-stomach argument... At what point will these people start to melt or burst into flames? We're left to assume that it has to be somewhere between 8 and 13 potatoes. That's a 5 potato window. Listen, faithful listeners, I don't have this figured out yet, clearly, but I'm not going to let up. I will get to the bottom of this somehow, some way. The potatoes will help me. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's go back to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Reva is alive. She makes it to Tatooine in record time, and she finds Owen, Baru, and Luke. Owen and Baru put up one hell of a fight, and Luke runs off into the desert. Now, I'm going to just say something here. Luke, as a 10-year-old, seems like he might be an idiot. And I don't know what it is about the kid that makes me say that. He just looks, um, how do I say this nicely? Simple as fuck. Nothing against the young actor who plays him. Uh, Grant Feely, I believe his name is. I'm sure he was directed to look like that. At least, I hope so. Alright, Reva catches up to Luke, but she just can't bring herself to kill him. Instead, she carries him back to the Lars homestead and speaks to Obi-Wan, who is fresh from his fight with Vader. More on that later. That rhymed. 
I should work in potato. It looks like she's seeing the error of her ways, and she's going to give up the dark side and be a good guy now. How convenient. Another Force user wandering around the galaxy when we thought Luke was the last hope. I hate this, guys. I really do. If I'm being honest, I could have done without Reva completely in this series. I, nothing against Moses Ingram. I think she played the part quite well. Um, I just, I, we didn't need her. I'd, I would have preferred they find another way to tell this story without introducing another new force-using villain and dragging us through their redemption story. But I digress. I can't change that one way or the other. Let's talk about the main event of this episode, shall we? Obi-Wan versus Darth Vader. Our heroes are trying to escape from Jabim, and they're being hounded by Vader's Star Destroyer, the Devastator. Obi-Wan knows he has one shot at helping them escape, so he takes a smaller craft to a nearby planet, knowing full well that Vader will pursue him and let the others go about their business. The plan works, and Obi-Wan and Darth Vader face off on a weird, rocky planet with no name as of yet. Vader asks if Obi-Wan has come to destroy him, and Obi-Wan says, I will do what I must. This whole thing mirrors a lot of their fight in Revenge of the Sith. We get the classic Obi-Wan lightsaber stance... And then they go at it. They go at each other, and it is fierce. They resort to basically throwing rocks at each other with the Force. Vader causes a sinkhole with the Force and buries Obi-Wan with rubble. Then he walks away? No finishing move again? When will they learn to stick around until their enemy is actually dead? Guess what? Kenobi gets free and uses a big Force push, and then pummels Vader with huge rocks. He gets in close and bashes Vader's chest plate. His control panel thingy, probably shutting down his life support and his Wi-Fi hotspot. Kenobi's relentless and beating the shit out of Vader. He slices him across the back and Vader's clearly not okay. And then we get a big moment. The helmet slash. Now, we've seen this executed before in Rebels, the animated series, when Ahsoka faces Vader. But here in live action, it is way more impactful, at least to me. Vader struggles to get to his feet, and we finally see Anakin behind the mask. Obi-Wan is horrified to see his friend like this, and quite frankly, so was I. He says, Anakin, and that one line hurt my heart. Vader's voice emulator is broken and cutting back and forth between Vader and Anakin's voice, but he says, Anakin is gone. I am what remains. At this point, lighting becomes a major player in this show. At this moment, Vader is washed in the red glow of his lightsaber, and Obi-Wan in the blue glow of his. You can see Obi-Wan getting emotional and tearing up. You can feel his guilt, and he says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Anakin, for all of it. The pain in his voice is tremendous. We get close on Anakin's face through the broken mask of Darth Vader, and the lighting changes to a blue glow, indicating, at least to me, that Anakin was coming to the surface at this time. He says, I'm not your failure, Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And then the lighting switches back to red and he says, The same way I will destroy you. Obi-Wan says, Then my friend is truly dead. Vader raises his lightsaber, racked with pain, struggling to breathe. And Obi-Wan just says, Goodbye, Darth. And he walks away. Darth Vader is so messed up, he can't possibly chase him down. So he yells Obi-Wan, and it's mostly in Anakin's voice at first, but then he bellows Obi-Wan again, and it's a mix of Anakin and Vader coming through his voice emulator. 
Obi-Wan flies off, leaving Vader behind. Again, no finishing move, but this time I'm okay with it. I really think Anakin came through to let Obi-Wan off the hook. He took the guilt away from Obi-Wan and released him from his pain. Probably his last good deed. He also claims his power, saying he is his own creation. Either way you want to look at it, it's fucking brilliant. Now after the fight, I originally had a problem with how Obi-Wan was allowed to leave the planet and Vader's Star Destroyer was nowhere to be found. But I guess it stands to reason that after Vader went planetside, his crew continued the hunt for Roken in that group. This episode hit me in all the right spots. I didn't want the Reva stuff, but I got to see Owen and Beru be badasses. We got more of the Larms homestead, which is always cool to see. We see Vader back in his castle, talking to a hologram of the Emperor. Palps redirects Vader, taking him off the hunt for Kenobi. I mean, hell, he beat his ass twice, Vader. You better leave that guy alone, or you're going to run out of replacement parts. We see Leia back with Bale and Barra Organa, and Obi-Wan arrives to give her her droid back. Oh, I guess I forgot to mention that. Uh, Leia gave Lola to Obi-Wan so he wouldn't be scared. They share a really cool moment where Obi-Wan tells Leia that her mother and father gave her very specific gifts in the form of some of their shared character traits. Then Obi-Wan goes to the Lars homestead to let Owen know that he won't bug them anymore. He trusts that Luke is in good hands. And Owen lets Obi-Wan meet Luke, who at this point probably has a mouthful of sand. Little idiot. And we get the hello there. I didn't know how much I needed the hello there until we got it. Okay, finally, in the last shot of the series, we see Obi-Wan on his trusty EOB riding off into the sunset, and who should finally make an appearance but force Ghost Qui-Gon. He says, well, it took you long enough, telling Obi-Wan he was there all along, but Obi-Wan wasn't ready to see him. Then he says, come on, we have a ways to go, and roll credits. Guys, this series could have been shorter, and it could have been longer. I could have done without the Inquisitors, and they could have cut out probably two episodes. They also could have spent more time with some of the other elements of the show and spread it out a little bit. Overall, I loved it. I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Do I think we're going to get a second season? Maybe. Ewan and Hayden are both down for it. Do we need a second season? No. The story's told. No need to try to drum up more shit just because we want more of the characters. Will we see more young Leia? Actually, I can see that happening. I think I would hate it, but I'm sure other people would dig it. What about Haja and Roken? They could potentially show up again in something like Andor. Overall, I have no reaction to that. Obi-Wan Kenobi was great. It was five weeks of well-executed content, and it gave us plenty to talk about. And plenty to think about, quite frankly. It enriched the original trilogy story, and that's all we could have asked for. And now we wait for the next thing to come along. In the meantime... Maybe I'll perfect my one potato system. Who knows? All right. That's enough out of me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, tell a buddy, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the audience, and the audience is growing. Thank you for that. You can interact with me on social media at The Force, of course, on Instagram and Facebook. You can email the show directly at theforceofcourse77 at gmail.com. The music you hear playing me out is by Closed on Sunday. Check them out on Instagram and YouTube. They have a lot of cool stuff out there. Once again, this has been The Force, of course, your bite-sized Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Ted. And as always, play with your toys. <laughs>